1: You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 8 Why Fiction Works. Today's proverb is a French proverb. I don't know who said it. No attribution. I'll read it twice. To understand all is to forgive all. To understand all is to forgive all. In an era as comfortable with hate as our own era... Forgiveness is a bit of a divisive topic. If you do a Google search for this proverb, you'll find that some Christians are in favor of it, but that secularists are generally not comfortable with this proverb. And that's because hate is incompatible with forgiveness. Among Christians who object to the quote I often found that um, there was some kind of suspicion that the quote underwrote universalism, or that the quote was based on a universalistic theology. Although I'd note that the quote isn't about salvation, it's about forgiveness, And forgiveness is an offer. It's not a demand. It is possible to forgive someone and for that person to not accept your forgiveness. I'd like to make a wager on this quote. And the wager is that you've heard this proverb before, or rather that you've read this proverb before people don't often say this living people don't often say this however it is a thing that fictional human beings say people in books and films are a hundred times more likely to quote this proverb than flesh and blood human beings that you encounter in the It's not only a proverb that fictional characters are fond of. I think that writers are rather fond of this proverb as well. I use this proverb as an epigraph to my book, Blasphemers, which is a collection of short stories I recently put out. And I chose this quote because when reflecting on my interests in fiction... This quote summed up why I write. And I started writing fiction a long time ago, back when I was only 16. I wrote short fiction back in high school before I had anything to say. And I enjoyed fiction, short fiction. I took a class from Doug Jones at New St. Andrews. I audited a class on short storytelling and I had a little success in that class and it made me want to pursue writing even further. And I found quite early that fiction was a place where forgiveness could be explored in ways that it couldn't necessarily be explored in the real world for lack of a better term. But I want to come back to the fictional aspect or the fictional character's interest in this proverb, in a bit. One of the first things I'd note about the proverb and its particular wording is that the proverb isn't, to understand is to forgive. The inclusion of the word all into the proverb sets the idea at a great distance from anybody who encounters it. And the proverb is not to understand is to forgive because everyone thinks they understand. And everyone is given to thinking that they have forgiven all the people in the world that need forgiving. But the inclusion of the word all twice in the proverb makes both understanding and forgiveness seem like divine labors, because only God understands all, and only God forgives all. Maybe in the life to come, the righteous will understand all, and so they will forgive all. But in this life, where all have fallen short of the glory of God, no one really understands all. It's not possible. The limitations of the human experience preclude any man understanding all. Now, we might tinker with the proverb a bit and say to understand all is to forgive all. And at the same time, to understand more is to forgive more. The more you know, the more you forgive. Or the more you understand, the more you forgive, rather. And the less we know of someone, the harder it is to forgive them. Now, this rings true to me. I want to take for granted that forgiveness is about love. That forgiveness and love are joined at the hip. I'll admit something that I think I might have admitted in an essay before, or perhaps a lecture. There are two people in the world who I hate. This has been the case for seven or eight years now. Hatred develops slowly, and hatred is an unwillingness to forgive. These hatreds have developed slowly. I confess them regularly when I go to confession, at least once a year. I confess an abiding, recurring hatred of two people. If you're listening to this podcast, you almost certainly do not know these people. This hatred's developed slowly. And it's developed slowly since the last time I saw either of these people, which is many, many years ago now. And the hatred will come back in these weird spells where I'll be driving down the highway and a remembrance of some way in which one of these two people mistreated me will come to mind. I'll get angry. And I'll snap at my kids. And it's real hatred. It's not just distaste it's bitterness it's a recurring bitterness for a way in which i was mistreated a very long time ago it's my record of wrong now i find it intriguing i find the proverb intriguing to understand all is to forgive all that the only two people in the world who i hate are people i haven't seen in a very long time I don't know what these people are doing with their lives. I don't know if their health is good anymore. I don't know if they regret the things they did to me or if they justify themselves. I don't know anything about these people anymore. I can't even find them online. I look, I don't know, once a year to see if any information pops up about them. To understand all is to forgive all. I haven't forgiven these people. But I also have no understanding of these people's lives. The hatred that I feel is, from time to time, very real. And yet, I don't understand these people. I don't know these people I don't even remember how much of the way I retell their offenses against me is even accurate anymore. I might have misconstrued everything. The proverb suggests, if I knew them more, I would not hate them if I knew them more and understood them, if I understood the great, vast, incomprehensibly large matrix of decisions and choices that slowly refines and filters itself down to a human personality, that I would be willing to let it go if I understood that about these people if I saw into their lives, if I could hear all the conversations that they've ever had, if I could see these people as little children and witness the ways in which they were mistreated when they were children, then I could forgive them. But I don't know any of those things about them. I don't know how they were mistreated when they were children. I don't know all the private conversations they've had. I don't know their thoughts. Now, the quote says, there is a greater knowledge of these people, and if I had it, I could forgive them. Now, it's worth noting that that the word here is forgive. It's not as though understanding leads you to say that there is no sin at all, which is also worth remembering in Christ's famous prayer on the cross. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Now, the fact that Christ prays that his persecutors would be forgiven means that they have sinned. Even if they have sinned in ignorance, it is possible to sin in ignorance. If it were not possible to sin in ignorance, Christ would just say they don't know what they're doing, and there would be nothing to forgive. But it is possible to sin in ignorance, and to understand all is to forgive all. Not to excuse all. To understand all is not to make as though there is no sin, there is no evil. Understanding does not negate moral agency. But understanding does lead to a softening of the heart. Now, the quote is purely speculative. Because no one understands all. Every judgment you make of another person is attended by the possibility of horrible error. Uh, Augustine speaks of this at length in the latter books of The City of God. Augustine says only in the life to come is there real certainty. And certainty is based on knowing all there is to know. Until then, every judgment that you make of another man could be wrong. It seems to me that monks are particularly fond of pointing this out. There are so many quotes from desert fathers, from monks, and from nuns about the hidden struggles of every man. You don't know the battle another man is fighting, so go easy on him. You see his failures, but even his failures might be the result of some success in a struggle against sin. I think the reason why this quote appears in fiction and why it appeals to the authors of fiction so much is that fiction is really the only place where any living, limited human being gets to understand all. Fiction is a playground where we get to experiment with greater knowledge of other human beings than is really possible. Because it's only in fiction that we get an answer to life's most aggravating question. And I'm going to put this forward as the most aggravating question there is. So far as this life is concerned, the most aggravating question in the world is, what does she really think of me? Maybe what does he really think of me is a close second in terms of the most aggravating, most vexing questions. But the reason why this question is so vexing is there's no way of knowing for certain that you have the real answer here. Because we lie about how we feel of others so often. I think probably around the age of 16 or 17, you realize that you tell all manner of very polite lies about other people. And at some point, that realization Comes back on you, and you realize that other people might be saying polite things about you that they don't mean. You realize in your teenage years that people have all kinds of reasons for not saying exactly what they think. This is one of those mistakes that rookie writers make. I've graded a lot of short stories in my life, a lot of character sketches in my life. And rookie writers always have characters say exactly what they feel. I think I've mentioned this before, maybe already on this podcast. The older you get, though, the more you realize that people speak in code. People don't say what they think. It's a liability to say exactly what's on your mind. And we know this of other people. Most of the time, we can forget about this. But every now and again, we realize that we don't really know what other people think of us. And that there is, for that reason, no way of understanding all. But fiction is a place where you can enter into the thoughts of another person. And there can be certainty having entered into the thoughts of another person, you can understand all. And you can forgive all, which I believe is one of the reasons why fiction, generally speaking, and I'm speaking mainly of novels and short stories here, not really films, unless it's an unusual film where you're given access to the thoughts of a character, which happens from time to time. But really in novels and short stories, we can know for certain the thoughts of other people. We can, as it were, understand all. And I think that this is one of the reasons why novels tend to be the most forgiving art form. Novels are Novelists are more likely to generously assess the human condition than any other kind of artist i'm putting that out there as a as a truism the novelist is more likely to forgive than any other kind of artist even novelists who sometimes come down very hard on their characters or short story writers who come down very hard on their characters even Tolstoy say who sometimes comes down very hard on his characters. Even Tolstoy was lenient often enough in the end. I would put this forward as well. It's very hard to hate a character in fiction. I think it's far easier to hate a character in a film. But to hate a character in a novel when you have access to their thoughts, very rare very uncommon when you know someone's thoughts that person is vulnerable to you and that vulnerability inspires charity i don't know that i've ever hated a character in a novel That's not to say that every character in a novel I've ever read is righteous, stand-up. But it is to say that I find it difficult to loathe anyone in a novel. This is even true of old Scratch himself. I'm reading Paradise Lost, teaching Paradise Lost with my students right now. And so much of Paradise Lost is spent in the head of Satan. I tell my students up front... Paradise Lost is not a theologically accurate book on most pages, on most accounts. Paradise Lost is not theologically accurate. It's not a sound metaphysics, but it's not intended to be either. And Satan is really more of just a human being. Satan's a human being. God is a human being. Everyone in Paradise Lost is a human being with human foibles. the angels as well, Raphael, Adam's first teacher, lousy teacher. So I don't think Paradise Lost is meant to be read as a theological tract. But as such, it's very hard to not feel sympathy for Satan after you've read his mind, after you've been given the mind of Satan for a little while. Because Milton presents him as being torn on what he ought to do. Milton's Satan is often indecisive. He's afraid of looking foolish in front of his friends. He's afraid of backing out of a deal that he's made. He doesn't want to look like an idiot. And it's hard to read Paradise Lost and come to these passages and not think, yeah, I'm afraid of looking like an idiot in front of my friends too. Have I sought revenge? I have. Satan seeks revenge. And in the middle of Satan's seeking of revenge, he admits that revenge is awful on the one who seeks it. Revenge is not merely awful for the one on the receiving end of it, but that revenge degrades a man. Satan admits this when he inhabits the body of a serpent to go off to tempt Eve. He says to himself, have I really descended to this level? Is this really Something I'm willing to do, to mix my angelic nature with bestial slime. Am I willing to do this? This is pathetic. I, too, have sought revenge on others, and I, too, have thought in the midst of it, this is pathetic. This is not worth it. I've said that. This is not worth it, and then done it anyway. Satan does the same thing. Now, of course, there's another way of using Paradise Lost, that Paradise Lost is Milton's expose, not so much on Satan, but on the satanic logic, on the satanic story. He wants us to know the very plausible ways in which Satan tempts us. That's another way of reading, very valuable. But if even Satan, our great enemy, warrants some sympathy once we have access to his interior thoughts, how much more so human characters? And if human characters, how much more human beings? Fiction is a chance to enter into that divine mind and to forgive people who seem unforgivable in real life. And if you can take what fiction will teach you about forgiveness and knowledge, and you can reflect the fictional forgiveness and understanding onto the real world, then you can be free of hatred and you can love.